Are you interested in free theological training? Our flagship sponsor, Midwestern Seminary, offers free theological training through their For the Church Institute. This semester, they launched three new classes, New Testament 1 and New Testament 2 with Dr. Patrick Schreiner and Missional Leadership with Dr. Charles Smith. Both have been guests of the show. These classes, along with others they offer, The Story of Everything with Jared Wilson, The Trinity with Dr. Matthew Barrett, and more are all free and accessible to you, your community group, or your church to complete at your own pace. You can learn more and sign up to begin at mbts.edu slash knowingfaith. Again, that's mbts.edu slash knowingfaith for some free theological training from Midwestern Seminary. Go check it out. You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of training the church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. JT, you were coughing really loudly right before we jumped on. Why were you doing that? Because I need everybody to know that before we start an episode, Kyle, like, coughs up a cat. Like, he does, like, this thing that's like a... I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's not like you're coughing. It's like you're clearing your throat in the most inappropriate way that I just enjoy. I mean, it's kind of like a liturgy, a ritual for me. Before you hear the Knowing Faith music, Jen and I hear Kyle coughing up a pug or something like that. (laughs) Well, I wonder why I have to do that. Is there something that I do at the front end of every show that you don't have to do? You talk for a long time at the beginning of every episode. (laughs) Fair enough. I'll keep my words real concise on this episode. Come at me, bro. Uh, in light of that, Will you? In light of that constructive <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, don't want to overpromise and underdeliver on that front. Uh, we are now into the story of Exodus. And if you've been joining us, then you know that we started with a broad overview of Exodus and kind of where it lives in the story of the Bible, particularly in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And uh, we, we've done a little bit of recap. And if you want a deeper dive on an overview of the story of Exodus, go back to the first episode in this season. You can find that there. But JT, could you just catch us up real quick in terms of how do we arrive at Exodus? Give us the genesis to where we find ourselves today at the birth of Moses. Give us the story in 90 seconds or less. Go. God has created everything. Specifically, he's created a people for himself. These people have been disobedient and rebellious, but because he's committed to his glory and they're good, he delivers them and saves them. And one of the ways that he does that is by calling a specific people to himself. Uh, This is the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he calls them particularly for the sake of a universal missional call that all people would eventually know who God is, enjoy him, and delight in him. Not in some universalism sense, but in a, a sense that all people have uh, to give an account to who God is and and what he's accomplishing in the world. And so this family, despite uh, the fact that God has called them and selected them for himself, they just have a, and you've, we've done two seasons on Genesis. You can go back and listen to those, but it's this family that just kind of keeps stumbling over themselves through all kinds of different stories. And they find themselves in Egypt because of a famine. And that's really where this story picks up, is this this family that God has called to himself for his glory so that they might live in in such a way that, that, uh, Uh, God would receive glory, is in Egypt. And we don't really know why. They're here they are, and they're being oppressed by Pharaoh. Yet, as we talked about in the last episode, they're fruitful, they're multiplying, 
despite the fact that they aren't where they're supposed to be, Genesis chapter 12 to 17, they are doing what God said they were going to do, which to be fruitful and multiply. And we kind of pick this narrative up, kind of asking this implicit question, are God's promises going to come to fruition? Is this family going to make it back to the place that God uh, intends for them to live, to enjoy his presence, and ultimately to be a light among the nations? And ironically, here they are, a light among the nations, specifically uh, Egypt. And they're, they have this opportunity to show God's powerful uh, deliverance and liberating work through salvation. Wow. Excellent work, JT. That was about 100 seconds, not 90 seconds. Uh, so uh, one, point, one point deducted for spillage of time, but a really good work. I'll take it. Can I, uh, can I reduce it to birth narratives for, sure, to be take thematic? It, take us there. So Genesis 1 is the birth narrative of the creation. Uh, Genesis 2 and 3 is the birth narrative of humanity. And you could argue even a birth narrative of sin, uh, even though sin is not a person, or, you know, that, but it's where we see the idea introduced. Uh, and then Genesis 12 and on is the birth narrative of a family. And we pick up in Exodus with the birth narrative of a deliverer and a nation. There we go. I love that. And we're talking about birth of deliverers in this episode. So every time that we jump into it, as I've said, we're not going to go, we're not going line by line through Exodus. That's not the point of this season. Um, we're taking a thematic approach to it, but we are going to ground you in a portion of the narrative that we will read. So I'm going to read for us Exodus chapter one, verses 15 uh, to chapter two, verse one. Uh, and then we're just going to explore some of the themes that we find here and how they reverberate both before and beyond Exodus. So this is Exodus one, verse 15 and following. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let all the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to the Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. So this is where we're at. We are in a birth narrative and it is a birth narrative that does sound familiar. If you are familiar with the rest of the story of the Bible, right? What are some of the other birth narratives that we find throughout scripture? What are some of the things that we see in this birth narrative specifically that we shouldn't miss? Jen, what, I'm going to kind of clear the road for you here because <laughs> I learned this from you. So it kind of feels weird because I think what I would say right now as a contribution would all be stolen and cribbed material. So I just want to give you some space here to talk about midwife stuff. I have a few things I want to say, but you get us okay. going here. Well, so we, we've talked about how, you know, these stories appear in literature. We've talked about how, um, you know, JT said, wow, there ought to be a movie about this book, he and Macy, <laughs> and that there is, in fact, there are several. And um, what you'll notice about those movies is that they don't start where Exodus starts. Um, Exodus starts with this little um, little vignette at the beginning, and it's highly significant because um, it is a story of deliverance that is a snapshot of the deliverance that we're going to see play out in a broader scale for the nation of Israel as a whole. So you see two women who stand up to Pharaoh 
and quite literally because of their um, fear of God, end up delivering Moses, who will be Israel's deliverer. They don't just deliver Moses safely. They we we can assume that other male children were saved as a as as a result of this righteous act as well. And when Pharaoh makes his decree to um, to kill all of the male children, what he is saying in ancient Near Eastern speak is take away this nation's future um, because property rights, everything are handed down um, through through the male line. And so um, when anytime you hear it in scripture, you know, we're going to take away their sons. Basically what they're saying is we're going to take away the, the future of this nation. And so what the Hebrew midwives say is no, not on our watch. We're going to preserve this nation because we fear God and we don't fear this, this, this serpent king. It's interesting that there's two um, this is another theme that you can trace throughout all of Scripture is the theme of two witnesses. And so these women uh, bear witness to the utter depravity of Pharaoh and because they have witnessed it. So in a similar way to we saw in Genesis um, where the two uh, witnesses go into Sodom and Gomorrah and witness the utter depravity of that place so that when God's judgment falls, it is based on eyewitness um, uh, uh, reckoning. And so that's what we're seeing established here, the theme of two witnesses to Pharaoh's utter depravity and God's subsequent judgment, which delivers his people. We'll see this play out in the rest of the book. We see it here in micro. We'll see it play out in the rest of the book in macro because there will be two other midwives who will deliver the nation of Israel and who will bear witness to the utter depravity of Pharaoh, and that's Moses and Aaron. Um, and so Moses and Aaron themselves, uh, well, Aaron would have already been born at the time that uh, that Moses is delivered. So we don't know whether Aaron is a result of this or not, the, the protection that the midwives um, give, but um, Moses himself would not exist if it were not for uh, the Hebrew midwives fearing God more than Pharaoh and saying, we're mm. going to stand up to you. And, and that will be the model that will be set for Moses and Aaron as they move forward in delivering the, the whole nation by God's mighty right hand. Jen, do you think that the midwives here serve as a foreshadowing of the courage of a virgin who conceives? Yeah, absolutely. I dare you to say no. <laughs> 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 right? Because like they do fear God and it's a courageous act that they undertake. Right. But like mm -hmm. when we think about the birth of another coming deliverer, like mm -hmm. Mary is, is in a position where it's not the exact same position. Like, I'm not saying when we do types and anti-types, you're not going like we need correspondence in every granular detail. You're looking for mm -hmm. some swaths here. But like mm -hmm. when I look at it, I go like, am I supposed to be seeing that in the story of Mary as well? It's like, wow, she's almost kind of inheriting the mantle, so to speak, mm -hmm. of these women in mm -hmm. Egypt in terms of exercising a fear of God-based courage and undertaking right. something that would absolutely have been hard for her in her given cultural setting. Well, and in many ways, Mary and Joseph end up standing in the place of the Hebrew midwives because they end up having to flee from Herod's uh, parallel persecution of the Hebrew male children, and they ironically flee into Egypt. Egypt becomes the place of safety mm -hmm. um, until such time as King Herod is dead and they can return. And so in a very real sense, Mary and Joseph will stand witness to the depravity of the serpent king in the gospel account and will flee 
flee with the baby to safety and then return him once the the coast is clear. So um, I think, yes, in in the way that both Mary and Joseph uh, say, not on my watch, we don't hear those words. Well, we do see that in Joseph, actually, in the the way that he is is presented Mm -hmm. in the narrative as well. And so uh, the two of them, um, both as his earthly parents, but in in many ways depicted uh, in parallel terms to the Hebrew midwives at the outset of the of the Exodus birth narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Now, JT, when we think about birth narratives, Jen has mentioned some that you find through Genesis and Exodus, but this concept of birth that leads to deliverance is mm-hmm. not just, a, it's not even just a Genesis Exodus thing. It's not a Pentateuch thing. What are some of the other kind of births that lead to deliverance narratives or birth narratives that you might find throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things, because I put, I would put myself in your shoes, Kyle, I've learned so much from Jen specifically about this and some of her insights around some of this. And when I first started listening to her, I never, ever, ever, ever have like uh, batted my eyes and thought, ah, oh, it's not a big deal or kind of, yeah, you know, rolled my eyes in the back of my, ah, I'm not sure that's important. But I've kind of, I kind of was like, is she overemphasizing the birth narrative? Oh, I thought the same I, thing I, for sure. I have thought, like, is, is she 100%. like, yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. And then you think, no, because be- beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we are told to look to the womb for salvation, quite literally, mm-hmm. that there is going to be an offspring that is born from the woman who comes to deliver all of God's people. It says specifically, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And so we're looking for offspring here. So I don't think it's any any shock that whether it's in Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3, or here in the beginning of the Exodus narrative, and Matthew's doing something very similar typologically that Jen just highlighted, that wombs and specifically the male sons, we, at the end of this chapter, all the male sons are being killed. And that's not just so that they don't, aren't fruitful and multiplying. That is true. It's so that God can't deliver his people, so that the deliverer will be killed. And so... The serpent king desires to crush the head of the offspring before the offspring can come and crush the head of the serpent. And so whether it's Pharaoh or Herod, these serpent kings desire to destroy any uprising or revolution that might come about in their kingdom. And so these birth narratives, again, whether it's here coming on, are important. And I think this is another reason why Jesus uses similar language in John chapter 3. And again, we could highlight a bunch of birth narratives between Exodus chapter 1 and the beginning of the New Testament. But Jesus uses this very kind of visceral language to teach a teacher of the law about why birth is so important. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and under kind of the cloak of of uh, of, of, of darkness and basically asks him, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you have to be what? Born. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. There, need, there needs to be a birth narrative in your life. And he responds mm-hmm. by saying, uh, I've that's happened. Like I was already born from my mom. And he says, and how could you be a teacher of the law and not know these things? Unless you've been born of the water and then born of the spirit, you cannot inherit right. eternal life. So a birth narrative, according to Jesus, whether it's in Genesis chapter one, Exodus chapter one, or John chapter three, all of us are born into exile, depravity, and death because of the serpent king. And then there is a good king who has come to deliver us out from under the oppression and the suffering of that serpent king to offer us new life, to transfer us truly from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's son, to take us from the dominion of death and to give us new birth, regeneration into the kingdom of Christ. That's right. That's really well said. And and, and 
when we think about even baptism, right, as a, as a symbol, baptism mm-hmm. is a symbol of the enduring prevalence of the birth narrative theme. And that baptism is a play out of the being born again. It's a, it's a physical, tangible symbol mm-hmm. of a spiritual reality of this new birth and of this being brought forth. And we see baptism not just, uh, I mean, this is it's happening in the story of Moses. We go forth with Moses being drawn out from the waters, which is what Israel is going to do crossing the Red Sea, which is what we do in the act of baptism. So this birth narrative itself is not just even like, okay, it's kind of conceptually thematic. It's that Mm -hmm. there are concrete events, both in the history of God's people, and there's a concrete rite or ritual Mm -hmm. or practice that's associated with it. So it's not just a theme. Some of these concepts, again, you could be like, well, these are just kind of conceptual themes that you guys are projecting back onto the story. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. They are concrete themes that function as a concept. Some of them materialize into tangible, physical rights of the church. Well, and the birth narrative, you know, it's the like the tension that is built for us regarding birth narratives by the time we even get to Exodus is huge. You think about all of the tenuous births that we've had up to this mm-hmm. point. Like you have the double, the 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 two midwives or the double witness of Adam and Eve, who they hear that there will be one who will crush the head of the serpent. And then at the birth of Cain, um, Eve exclaimed, his name basically means here he is, right? Like she, she thinks the deliverer has come. He's not the deliverer. And that's what we'll see again and again is this is not him. This is not him. This is not him. Uh, women who are, who, who can't get pregnant, who, who very much need to because they're part of the line that's supposed to produce the serpent crusher. So the birth narrative and the and the the tenuous nature of the birth um, have come all the way through Genesis into Exodus, and then they will continue. You know, when I first started talking about this, it wasn't just you guys that were a little bit skeptical, even despite the fact that most Christians are familiar with the term born again. Like I would say, overly familiar mm-hmm. that we've we have uh, separated it from its its natural origins. It's become all metaphor and, and, and we've detached it from the original image. You know, and then when I started talking about Exodus as a birth narrative, people are like, well, I mean, yeah, but don't take it too far. And I don't want to take it too far, but I do want to give it its due. And so, no pun intended. And then um, listen to the words of Moses. This is Numbers 11, okay, 15 through 23. So in the book of Numbers, you know, they're they're getting ready to, uh, to, t- to go into the promised land. And here's Moses reflecting back on the story of the Exodus. And it says, Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all the people on me? Now, verse 12 says this. Did I conceive all of this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Do you hear it? Hmm. He understands the story as a birth narrative, like Moses' own words. Moses, the author of the narratives. And so um, I don't think it's a stretch to talk about it and to explore the metaphor, especially since so much of it carries forward into our uh, New Testament understanding. One of the things that was interesting is... um, I would get, uh, I got an email from someone saying, my husband is saying, where is all this coming from? He doesn't see it in the commentaries. And uh, it is in the commentaries. The, to be fair, the commentaries do mention Exodus as a birth narrative. And then they they tend to move on. 
Um, and I would just argue that that's one of the reasons that it's important to have both men and women on, in dialogue on, on matters of theology, because most commentaries are, are written by men, which is not a ding against commentaries, but it means that their natural inclination to explore a metaphor like birth um, beyond its initial stages might be a little less than it is for, for women whose, whose embodied reality is uh, to have an understanding of, of the, the, the birth cycle. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. Okay, so let's move into the story of Moses's, um, oh, what would we call it? Moses and the water. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh, having been born, it says that when she could hide him no longer, she took from a basket made of bulrushes, daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And we know what happens here. It, his sister kind of follows him along the riverbank. But where does this basket end up? It ends up at the feet of who, Jen? Yeah, the basket ends up at the feet of um, Pharaoh's daughter. And so there's a there's a whole irony playing out here where you have five women, uh, one of them even an Egyptian woman, who subvert the wishes of Pharaoh. Um, he believes that the male uh, offspring are going to be the problem, that sons are what are a risk for him. And so it's daughters that end up subverting his hopes uh, in this story as just a little shot of irony that we get thrown into the story. And so then you find that Moses is drawn out of the water. That's where his name comes from. Um, it means drawn out. And we see that Moses has painted for us a picture of the story that we saw in Genesis of Noah and the ark, where mm -hmm. Noah and his family are drawn safely through the waters of death to life on the other side, which is, guess what? Another birth narrative that's tucked into Genesis. Now, something I did not know before I was looking into this, you think about some connections um, between uh, not just uh, Exodus reverberating beyond or the story of Exodus, these themes reverberating beyond, but uh, also before. Mm -hmm. um, the word that's used here uh, for basket, mm -hmm. it's the Hebrew word teva. Mm -hmm. It's only used one other time in the Old Testament. Yeah. Do you know what it's used for? Mm -hmm. The ark. Mm -hmm. I did not know this. This was and bitumen to and pitch too, you know, as a clue, because those also are mentioned in the construction of the ark. So whenever you have like Moses coming down the water, he is coming down the water 
mm-hmm. in an ark. You think about this in just terms of the birth of deliverers. If Noah was delivering God's righteous people in the midst of an unrighteous and broken world, and he was doing so by way of an ark, this here is just kind of, again, one of those echoes that is following along with the story of the Bible, that here is another deliverer coming through the waters in an ark to deliver God's people from Mm -hmm. an unrighteous land, an unrighteous place. Um, And it's fascinating to me. Did you guys both know that? I did not know that. Well, and the other thing that's interesting is the is the theme of the river because you know we're going to see a lot of river crossings. Are we talking yep. about that in a future episode? Because I don't want to get ahead of us. We will talk about rivers. Yep, we will talk about rivers. Okay, then I'm I'm going to hold on to it. But I'll just say for now, let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never uh, failing stream. Mm. And and when we see the um, that's Amos five twenty four, when we see the ark passing through waters, they're waters of judgment. And when mm-hmm. we see Moses passing through the waters here, it's a hint toward the justice that is going to roll down on Pharaoh, and through which the children of Israel will be preserved. And so, mm-hmm. um, the metaphor holds all the way through. Um, so it's 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 the deliverance from the death that the wicked meet, the, the deliverance for God's chosen people to the other side. That's so good, man. All that's so good. Kyle, did you say the Hebrew word is Tiva? Yeah. Right? Teva? Tiva? I don't know. Am I mispronouncing I, I have it? not looked at it. You're, you're teaching me something. I'm wondering. The, the yeah. transliteration I'm, I'm is like, T-E-V-A-H. Yeah. Okay. But uh, just to be clear, because this is a confusing thing for people sometimes, it's not the same word that's used for the Ark of the Covenant. So sometimes yeah, people sure. want to make too neat of a connection. But yes, those two stories are meant to be seen side by side. I'm just thinking about living in Colorado and trying to make some kind of correlation to like the Tevas of sandals. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, what are Tevas? <laughs> yeah. They're, they they're do like deliver sandals, you. Like they're outdoor they sandals. They do deliver like you safely through the hike. Yeah. That, are, that, oh, okay. that carry right. people through water and through mountains. But I mean, yeah. Luis, let me do, I'm not, I, we're not going to do this every episode like Exodus for the rest of us because you guys just did, I don't remember <laughs> what you just did, is you just did some beautiful biblical theology that I was tracking uh-huh. with, I was learning from, but it's also like, I need to go spend an hour in a dark corner by myself and like <laughs> think for a little bit because that was so deep. But I think one of the one of the things that we do want to offer to our listeners, maybe you're like, okay, I, I think I'm catching up. I think I'm clinging to some of these things, is that one of the patterns that we see through Scripture is that God, through the waters of judgment, brings judgment upon his enemies. Mm-hmm. But those who are clinging to or are a part of the instrument of the piece of wood, they can experience yes. deliverance. And they, yes. we cling to it. So if we're, if we're translating this to the New Testament is we go through the waters of baptism as a part of judgment, dying mm-hmm. to our old selves where Satan, sin, and death are judged and destroyed, emerging from those waters at birth narrative as new people. Why? Because we have clung to the cross of Christ and the mm-hmm. instrument of God's wooden salvation that we can hold to and cling to. And we see that again. We've seen that in Genesis, see it in Exodus here whether it's the, the the narrative of Noah or the narrative of, of Moses, is yeah. God is repeating this pattern of those yeah. who go into the water die, but those who emerge from it or who are saved mm-hmm. through the instrument of wood by it will live forever. Mm-hmm. That's right. And union with Christ, Kyle, right? Shout out to union with Christ, right? Because the ark is a picture and the basket Noah's placed in our picture of being in Christ, delivered safely mm-hmm. f- through judgment. Make sure to go write that down for your notes, Kyle. You just got a new chapter. No. <laughs> yeah, hold on a second. I, yeah, I definitely knew that before you said it. Uh, I was sure. just borrowing that from Kyle just now. No, no, no. No, but I do think it is that important to realize that like- just became 40,000 uh, words. You 40, do need words. a, you, like, there is a theme. Like, and it's, 
it's a theme that is across the Bible that we need a shelter for salvation. Yeah, you need right. a refuge for redemption. You're going, refuge you're That's going right. to have to be in something to experience salvation. You can't mm-hmm. do it on your own and it can't be outside of you. You must be within it. That's mm-hmm. good. Thank you, Jim. I want to maybe just point out another little like factoid. Um, and this blew my mind and this is less thematic and more factual to this passage. Although I, I'm going to move it towards a thematic thing. This story here, when it says, when she opened it, she saw the, the child and behold, the baby was crying. This is the only instance, recorded instance in the Bible of a crying baby. Did you know this? No, but I can see, I think I see where you're headed with this. Well, maybe you do, because I'm not sure that I am either. I'm just pointing something out. But this is a crying child. And I, a commentator, I'm actually, I'll just go and give it to you, is Leon Cass and Founding God's Nation. And then I went and like tried to find this. Now, listen, if you're a listener or maybe one of you both are like, oh, no, that's not right. Here's another crying baby. There are other, plenty of other instances where people cry. But the only explicit mention of a crying baby in the Bible, now that I've looked into this, and I could be wrong, is this story, which I think is fascinating. And this chapter begins with Moses crying as a baby, Mm -hmm. but it ends with Exodus 2, uh, 23 and following, Mm -hmm. where it says, during those days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Mm -hmm. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. So the chapter begins here with the baby crying out at the feet of an Egyptian princess. And it ends with the people of Israel crying out to their covenant God. Well, and then Exodus 3, 7, when Moses is at the burning bush, these are the first words he says after he declares who he is. It says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And so that's the the Egyptian princess ends up being a type of God, which is another one of those really, you know, cool moments where it's like, oh, I see what you did there. Well, I saw what you guys did there with biblical theology, but I got to tell you, I'm grateful I don't have young infants in the house right now because that would be incredibly oh, discouraging to Lord. hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's a lot of young moms. I'm sorry, that was like, discouraging of me to say it, praise the Lord. Yeah. In the, in the, in the Bible, babies don't cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My daughter just, so my daughter lived with us for uh, six weeks this summer with her two uh, small children. So we had lots of in, infants crying and it was of course music to my ears for a while. She texted me yesterday and said, uh, now they're waking each other up at different times with their crying. And I just oh. thought, man, there's a reason you have kids when you are young, because I'm yeah. so glad that you're not at my house anymore while you're trying to figure that out. Yeah, but here it's the it's the cry of distress that is heard mm-hmm. by a benevolent and loving father who is going to rescue the one who cries. It's it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And and this and the, and and we think about crying or crying out not just as a uh, momentary events here or momentary responses, mm-hmm. but you could do really you could trace out the cry of God's people. Mm-hmm through the rest of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you could find this all throughout the Psalms. You're going to hear the Psalmist talking about crying out to the Lord. Ju- I mean, the you whole book the of cr- Judges. The whole book of Judges are, are people crying out. All throughout the prophetic literature, there is the call to cry out and ask God for help and mm-hmm. rescue, to hear the cries of your people. Mm-hmm. You could think about the crying out of the, um, the cry of dereliction on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which mm-hmm. is a reference to a crying out of Psalm 22. Um, you could think about um, the rocks and stones crying out mm-hmm. in adoration of God. I mean, like, mm-hmm. again, 
pointing this out, not just so you can be like, hey, look, the Bible uses the word cry more than once. It's to, it's to help you see that the majesty of God's word is that when you find these things, things that could just seem like very, very small narrative details, that because of the authorship of God through human authors— there, these themes are not incidental, they're not coincidence, and they're not irrelevant. They function to help move the story forward in a way that not only speaks to the majesty of God's word, the unity of God's word, but the pastoral and practical significance that all throughout the story of the Bible, God is hearing the cries of his people and that on the cross, God takes upon himself the cry of the forsaken people mm-hmm. so that they might have fellowship, you know? A baby cries out in uh, a basket in the Nile River, and thousands of years later, a greater deliverer cries out on the cross, and both lead to redemption, but one of them leads to redemption for God's people for good forever, and that you don't have that one without the previous one. Mm-hmm. You know, without the cry of Moses in the basket, there is not the cry of Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. This is the continuation of God's people. It's his provision of a people through whom he sends the Savior. It's a mm-hmm. significant thing. It's not just happenstance. And and not even to interrupt that monologue, because that would stand by itself. But I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm even thinking right now, learning from you, Kyle, mm-hmm. then you have John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, yes, prepare right. the mm-hmm. way of the mm-hmm. Lord. And he's the one who then comes and baptizes him. These stories mm-hmm. of, of birth and, and rebirth. And uh, I, I, Kyle, you said something really profound that I just want to slow down for a second before we wrap this episode up, that if people are still kind of, we, we tried to highlight for you what biblical theology is. So we have categories mm-hmm. of like systematic theology, trying to categorize God's truth through philosophy and Bible and history. We have uh, historical theology. How has doctrine developed over time through philosophy and trying to answer different questions? But biblical theology is really this attempt to think about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and think about these themes and types uh, and I think one of the things we could help answer for our people that you just did, Kyle, that I just want to make sure is highlighted, is it's because there are two authors of the text. Is there are times right. where Moses is, or or you could even say uh, Matthew is highlighting what Moses yeah. wrote, and mm-hmm. there's a human element to those texts, mm-hmm. and there's a literary element to that. That is true, period. But we also highlight a divine author who, when he uses mm-hmm. a word like cry yes. or like light, or yeah. uh, like wood or tiva, like we just highlighted, is he is the mm-hmm. the the divine author, the Holy Spirit, is 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 the same author that's speaking to both Moses and to Matthew and to Paul yes. and to John, and he is going to offer us themes that allow us to do what we're doing right now. I've read this mm-hmm. narrative hundreds of times, and I'm mm-hmm. learning because the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit is a deeper author than Moses is. The Holy Spirit is a deeper author than Paul is. And so as, as we're trying to do this, we're able to see things that, man, I think I'm going to be reading this narrative. I, here's what I imagine is going to happen. I imagine in 20 years, knowing faith, if we're still doing it, man, we're all going to be real old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if we're going to still be doing it. But I think there's going to be a time when I read Exodus chapter 1 and 2 again and see something new because the yeah, Holy Spirit so. is that yeah. it, it writes that deeply. Like that's he's exactly right. he's offering us themes. And that's yeah. what biblical theology is. That's why we're doing this season the way we're doing it this year yeah. is it's not just the literary nature of the text so that matters it's, it's so important but it's mm-hmm. the theological nature of the text to allow yeah. these these themes to interweave and for us to see things freshly and with new lenses 
the Bible is a miracle. It, it is. really is. It really is. Can I can I just show one more thing about the crying Absolutely. that I love? Yeah, you can. Okay, yeah. so you know the the parallel stories are Moses passes through the water, he cries out, and he is lifted up to provision. And so there's actually a, an, another application of the crying here beyond just being delivered from oppression. Um, mm-hmm. It's the question that's asked on the other side of deliverance of, will the God who delivered me now sustain me? And so when we see Israel delivered through the water of the Red Sea, um, what happens immediately on the other side? They sing the song of Moses, they extol God's many uh, attributes. And then in Exodus um, 15, 22, they come to Mara and there's no water. And it says in verse 23, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord. Mm. And then the Lord provides a way for them to have fresh water. We're going to see again and again that the newborn baby Israel is going to cry out to ask, will the God who delivered us now sustain us? And at every turn, God answers that cry with, yes, I will. And so that's another cry that we see. It's it's and and, and I want I want to be clear. That's a cry of of question and doubt sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord answers Israel's cries when they uh, ask rightly, when they cry out rightly, and when they cry out wrongly with yeah. "I am." And so that's another theme that you can see traced, obviously, throughout the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, I want to read something from a book to kind of bring us home because uh, the 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 next episode, we're going to miss most of Moses's adolescent journey. Like there's a lot of biblical imagination we can use and we'll do a little bit of that on the front end of next I hated uh, middle episode. school too and I don't want to talk about it either. So I think it's fine. <laughs> For sure. I know much about Jesus' Moses- middle school either. So it's, yeah, it's a thing. Right. I right. bet Moses had a chili bowl and that's why we don't know anything about it. You know what I'm saying? The pictures don't age well. <laughs> I actually did. Was that a shot at me? Uh, well, no, I think we all did at some point. I definitely <laughs> okay, did. You okay. did. I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I was going to say something there that I'm not going to say. Uh, well so done. Sanctification. Discernment. Uh, Drawn through the waters. Uh, okay, but <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, but we're, the next time that we encounter Moses, I mean, just like the next line after they give him his name for he was drawn out of water, is like we're dealing with adult Moses and we're dealing with adult Moses in a very visceral scene. So we're going to get there next week. But there is something that I read in this uh, Leon Cass book called Found, uh, Founding God's Nation. And I thought it was one of the best two paragraphs I've read on the hinge point of this part of the story. And so I just want to read it for us because I thought it was exceptionally well written. And uh, then we'll, 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 uh, we'll conclude this episode. Moses' life, even more than that of most children, began in the world of women, the domain of birth, nurture, and human renewal. According to our story, Moses owes his life not to merely one woman, but to five, each of whom bravely resists Pharaoh's radical attempt to extend his rule over their domain. The two midwives, restrained by the fear of heaven, refused to perform male infanticide. Moses' mother and sister, moved by love of their own, hide and protect the infant boy and cunningly arrange his possible rescue. Pharaoh's daughter, moved by compassion, saves not her own, but a despised Hebrew child in defiance of Pharaoh's edict. She names him, brings him into the palace, adopts him, and presumably gives him an Egyptian and princely education. The compassionate and deeply life-affirming qualities that these strong women display will later find an honored place in Israelite law and teaching. Not least, as we learn later, they are also attributes of God. But these virtues, admirable though they are, 
cannot alter the Israelites' political situation in Egypt. The women have presided over the birth, rescue, adoption, and palace rearing of Moses, the future redeemer of Israel. But their womanly virtues are not sufficient to liberate the Israelites from bondage or to turn them, once freed, into a self-governing people. If Moses is to become a political leader and liberator of the Israelites, he cannot learn what he needs to know while confined to the domain of being a child. He must step onto the worldly stage to join a world at present that is dominated by men. And I thought, wow, that is really an interesting thing to think about Moses's journey as he moves from here to this birth narrative into a world that is immediately not a world of nature. But Moses, the, 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 the first story we have of the man of Moses mm-hmm. is a story of violence right out of the gate. So next week, we're going to turn to this and start exploring kind of the journey of the deliverer moving forward. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you want to find Knowing Faith, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find and keep up with all of our upcoming and newly released shows on those platforms. You may have heard about the great resources or products that we are, uh, have uh, sponsored earlier in the show. You can make sure to check out the sponsor's show notes for a link to our sponsor's website or on the Train the Church website under the Knowing Faith podcast. To find resources, discounts, products that we have vetted, that we believe in, books, recommendations, those kinds of things, uh, go to trainthechurch.com slash support if you want to find out more about how you can make these shows possible. Check out our sister show, Tiny Theologians. If you've missed Tiny Theologians, then I got to tell you, go back and find it, particularly if you work with kids or if you have young kiddos in your household. It is a narrative-driven podcast that is aimed at teaching uh, Christian children uh, about the basics of Christian belief. So go check out that wherever you find your podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace. Did this episode spark an interest to learn more about Jesus, the Bible, or just theology in general? You can receive free theological training through Midwestern Seminaries for the Church Institute, where you can learn more about the Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, leadership, and more, even at your own pace. Learn more and get started today at ftcinstitute.com. Again, that's ftcinstitute.com for free training on Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, and leadership. Go and check out these incredible resources from our season sponsor.